Hi, this is Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Audio Series, Making Your World Better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All those reasons combined led me to start this audio series. It is my hope that through these audio series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. Today in the studio is Connie Nelson. She's the executive director of the Alf Engen Ski Museum right here in Park City. And what a fascinating show. You're gonna really enjoy listening to Connie today. And the thing that kind of emerged from our conversation was the importance and the impact that volunteers have. She talked about for the first 12 years of this museum of being the executive director, she was the only staff person. And so she completely had to rely on volunteers. So I asked her the question, how did you retain those volunteers for the last you know, almost 15 years now? And what did you do like practically? How did you invest in them? How did you draw the best out of them? I think you're gonna really learn a lot, particularly if you're in the nonprofit world or if you're an ED yourself, you're gonna learn how to take care of those volunteers. Volunteers are so important. And one of the things we've talked about on the show before is how do you create evangelists, right? Or raving fans, those volunteers and or staff that so believe in your mission that they go out and create more sponsors, more donors, more um, people that just get excited about your nonprofit. And Connie has done that really well with her volunteers. So I think you're gonna really enjoy what she has to say. So enjoy today's show. Well, in our studio today, we are pleased to have Connie Nelson, the Executive Director of the Alf Engen Ski Museum. Connie, it's so good to have you here. Tell us a little bit about this museum, because I think we were talking earlier, uh, I think there's some probably some uh, misnomers of what this museum really entails for people that live right here and drive by it every day. Well, good morning, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm Great honored to, to be here and be a part of this uh, podcast and all everything that you're doing with all the other nonprofits. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of local Park City folks drive by the Utopic Park and they see the big green uh, uh, ski jump and they're not sure right. what's going on up there. Uh, there's been a lot more information out in the community uh, with the advent of our new ski jumps. Um, that's brought a lot of interest and in folks up to the museum and up to the, the park. But um, once pe a lot of people that I've talked to have not actually come into the museum. They didn't realize there's actually two museums. You go up to Utopic Park, two museums. There's the Alfing and Ski Museum on the first floor and the 2002 Olympic Winter Museum on the second floor. So um, getting I'm assuming most people feel like it's just the same. It's the same museum, right? Right. Yeah. And it's not. It's two totally different mm -hmm. missions and two uh, different um, exhibits and mm -hmm. uh, missions. But um, what's important is for people to understand in uh, Park City that it's free. Drive up the park, drive up there, the windy road up to the Utah Olympic Park, and uh, bring your kids. It's very educational, and um, we would we really enjoy having all the locals. We actually have 78% of our guests are from out of Park City. Out That's of astounding, 78%. Yeah, right. I was surprised. I'm really surprised to hear that. Yeah, we have a lot of tour buses and a lot of different advertising outside of Utah. 
um, for the Utalepic Park. And so it's really important that uh, those people come in and they want to see the museum and they're cultural travelers as well. And so we see them through um, throughout the year. And um, one of our goals is to get Summit County people into the museum and to enjoy their own history that we've, we've all lived and experienced here in Park City. That's the thing, it's in our backyard. Um, and I think a lot of people just take it for granted that uh, it's right here. And, and we were saying earlier, you know, the Olympics were right here in 2002. I wasn't living here then. And there was a lot of kids in our schools that weren't even alive at that point, right. but it happened right here in our backyard. So yeah, what would you say to people that are listening? Um, why is it so important that they stop by and see this museum? Oh, gee, you know, both museums, they're free, like I said before. and um, Which is nice to know. I honestly yeah. think people think there's a cost there. So right. it's good to know it's totally free. And actually, Utah Olympic Park is free uh, for folks to come up and to, to watch the training, watch the ski jumping, watch the freestyle into the pool, and in the winter come up to the bobsled luge skeleton track, watch all the athletes train. So all year um, round, it's free. All year round. So yeah, that's can, wonderful. Right. And it's it's such a great um, asset to our community. We have 396 acres of pure fun, is what I say. And the I museum, like that. It really is. And the museum actually uh, memorializes the 2002 games, but also the history of snow sports throughout our community, um, through our resorts here, through all of the different um, Olympic events that were held here. And we really want um, the locals to come up and to experience it in a... Um, we really focus on virtual so that the experience is kinesthetic. You come in, right. you can try the bobsled on our virtual ride. Um, there is a cost for the ride because we uh, found that our new, we updated our exhibit and you, it's so um, real. It's like, a, a, we don't like to call it a Disney ride, but it is. it does have all the moving parts and snow flying and, and you feel like you're actually bobsledding. You feel like you're actually doing a powder wow. ride. Wow, this yeah. is a new exhibit, correct? Yes, it is. And it feels like you're doing a speed fly, which which is uh, filmed over in um, actually in Mount Superior and Little Cottonwood Canyon. So uh, we want the, and also the Nordic ski jump. We hired a drone, so the feeling of going down the in run and hitting the, the air and flying like an eagle and then landing. And so that's all kinesthetic, it's all moving parts. So we want um, locals to come up and, and get the feel of what it's like to, to experience these sports and to experience the, the joy of uh, all that we have to offer at the Utopic Park and beyond throughout our community. Well, and that's an interesting thing because uh, you end up connecting with a lot of different organizations and a wide variety of people because of what you offer. So talk a little bit about the different collaboration that you do with the various groups and uh, organizations. That's a really good question, Rob. Um, a lot of people don't know that the museum is actually a separate foundation from the Utah Olympic Park. That's the Utah Olympic Legacy Foundation, um, owns and runs the park and also the Olympic Oval. Um, is that connected with the USSA? That is not. Okay. The USSA separate. is totally separate. Ah, got so it. So that's what's the beauty of, part of all of Park City and Summit County and even Utah as we all work so closely. It's actually kind of seamless. So when folks yeah, most people don't think there's the, all see all those separations. So. No, they think that you know the museum is part of the park, which we want it to look like that. Got it. In fact, when we were looking for a site for our museum, we were looking at an A-frame at Alta, because the, the oh, whole, interesting. Yeah, the whole museum started um, idea started in 1989 with Alan Ingen saying, "Hey, what are we going to do with all your stuff, Dad?" Alf Ingen, uh, you know, he mm -hmm. won all these medals. He was a a, a world champion ski jumper mm -hmm. and uh, you know a ski pioneer. And he, you know, he was a he worked for the Forest Service and went up and founded uh, Snow Basin, scoped that out. I was a, a ski resort. Went to Alta, 
um, snowbird and was a, a real ski pioneer. So they thought, well, why don't we just do a little A-frame? Anyway, so, you know, things started evolving. a little evolving. bit bigger than that. <laughs> yeah, and then in 2002, we opened our doors. Okay, so that's when you opened, it was 2002. Yeah, we built the building um, right there at Utah Olympic Park, and that was a collaborative effort as well um, with the Eccles and with the, the Quinnies, and particularly with Utah Olympic Park. Um, they were looking for a site that would um, marry nicely in with the history of the ski jumping, and mm -hmm. there's the Olympic ski jump it's going right up. Yep, and actually Spencer Eccles Sr. said, we want your museum here. So he was a big part of that. We built the 30,000 square foot building right next to the pool. And uh, that building was uh, for SLOC, which was a Salt Lake Organizing Committee, uh, gave us the land for a dollar a year and wow. for 50 years. And Fantastic. Um, with, with the caveat that we actually let the media into that building during the game. So it was a media subcenter. Got it. Yeah. Okay, that works. Over, yeah, we had over 300 media there during the games, and they um, publicized, mm. and there was print, and there was TV, and they all worked out of that building. And then as soon as the 2002 Olympics were done in February, they moved out, and we had all of our exhibits pre-made and uh, moved those in, and then created the museum, the 2002 museum, on the second floor. So that was sort of our start, but it's evolved. The Utah Olympic Park is, is such a big part of what we do. And and, and it keeps it's, growing, too. Oh, it's just Just incredible. adding more things all the time. Right. right. And, that, you know, we've really reached a point there um, at the park and at the museum where we're almost at capacity, which we never thought we would be because it's so popular. So, yeah, tell me how many visitors uh, come every year. Really interesting question, Rob. We, um, we were quoting, and we have a, a counter that, as you come into the museum. And uh, last year it was 300,000. This year it's 350,000. 350,000. I think most people would be shocked. They are. That I'm, many people coming through. That's have, fantastic. It's, it's amazing. And um, So you're impacting our local economy by bringing all these people, right. I'm assuming. Because you said 78% are coming from outside Summit County. Right. So they're going to come probably eat food, maybe check out other things in Park City. Yeah. So how does the city view you in that way? Do they see... They, do they benefit from that or do they see the benefit from you and do they I think work lot, with you on that? I really do think a lot of them do and I know that uh, Bill Malone at Park City uh, Chamber, he's a big part of making sure that they always publicize us and also... At Excellent, the, right. Yeah, and all of his uh, staff at the base of the Utah Olympic Park in the visitor center, both at the base and also here in town at the other museum. Um, you know, they always say, oh, you must go up to the Utah Olympic Park. So they Park. give you great publicity. We, and, yeah, yeah, it's such, you know, that's what's a great partnership. I love it. And I'm sure you find that too. We all work so closely together. Oh, it is a great town for that, and, no doubt. And the, the people in, and, and agencies we have, like the United States Ski and Snowboard Association, located out at Quinn's Junction. Tom Kelly's on our board, for instance, and he's oh, the right, VP sure. of Communications. Yeah, so he's, he's always making sure that, you know, when we're doing our exhibits, like our 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics on our hometown heroes. He's a part of that. The athletes, you know, Sage Kotzenberg, yeah, mm -hmm. all the locals, Ted Ligeti. Mm -hmm. Those parents are there. He's there. Um, you know, the Paralympians, they're all here training with the NAC. So we're also interconnected. And um, it's really fun to try to, to come up with any new exhibits. For example, the one that I'm currently working uh -huh. on, which it will be of interest to the community, is um, we, need, we redo each exhibit. Um, we, each year we redo a exhibit, an exhibit. Okay, you pick and one each we year. We pick one each year, thanks. Mm -hmm. And so, like, year before last, we did a quad chair, and that's with all of the interactives, and we did the Nordic ski jump. Mm -hmm. Well, this year, um, we did the entrance to the museum, and that was looking at Ecker Hill and how that impacted ski jumping and Al Fingen and Joe Quinney and the intersection of the timeline. But next year, I'm working on the um, 
the greatest snow on earth exhibit and looking at yeah and you know you know 2002 you know we we have the greatest snow on earth and you know the snow um, is formed coming across the desert it dries why why do we have the dry you know fluffy powder well it's because it gets dried out it drops here we have the lake effect well over the last three years we've had a little bit of a change as we all know with um, our snow pack right. and how much powder we've had. Uh, for instance, we've been trying to um, film a powder run for our ski exhibit, a new one, hmm. for the last two years. We haven't had a good powder day. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I know that's the fear for a lot of people here is that the powder's getting less and less every year, it seems. Right, and just those great big dumps. Mm-hmm. So, they start happening. Yeah, so this exhibit, and you know, keeping in mind that we're all about um, educating as well mm-hmm. as entertaining, but mostly educating um, on the history of snow sports and its impact on our lives and an mm-hmm. impact on our economy. And so that's next year. We're going to look at snowpack and look at um, snow that we've had mm-hmm. and how, how we can impact making sure that we, we keep our environment clean so mm-hmm. that we can ski for years to come. Right. So. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think you're in a very unique situation as you're describing all these different groups that interact with what you do um you know the buzzword we've talked about before is collective impact and we've interviewed a lot of different nonprofit leaders on this show and so you do it kind of naturally because of the way you're set up from the beginning i mean you had all these different groups coming together to pull this off so in your mind as you're talking to people that may be listening again that uh want to do more collective impact or at the maybe the first start is just collaboration to start there what have you seen why has it been worth it for you to do collaboration on the one hand number two and then I guess secondly, how have you measured your collective impact uh, through your museum and with all the other players that you've been be able to interact with? What has been the measured collective impact from your organization? That's a great question. I, I'm one of those who I really believe that uh, for me to get my job done and uh, get the mission statement out into the community and through our museum, I have to work with other people's. Got it. Because I've actually, uh, I was the only employee for about, tw- uh, it was 12 years. The only employee, seriously. So I would wow. hire in people. Okay, just yeah. for like different events or and volunteers. Okay, and for you know for different projects. Sure. So like if I needed a curator, if I you know different projects, I would hire in folks. I surrounded myself with wonderful people who were hired in for specific tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me to collaborate was vital. I was gonna say yeah. In every possible way, and mm-hmm. I was really uh, you know weighed heavily on, on my board for advice and for direction and for help. And the volunteers, we have 25 amazing volunteers, most of which we've had since 2002, who have just From kept From the beginning, that's impressive, you've they, kept them. Yes. What's been your secret? How do you keep volunteers? Because we talk, I'll ask you in a second about evangelists, you know, the people that could really just buy into your vision and become your you know, greatest supporters and, and biggest fans, if you will. But how have you kept those volunteers? That's, I think, a real key skill, I would guess, for executive directors. Yeah, it is. It's the heart and soul. And it's the, it's the folks that are the evangelists for you know, the history of skiing in Utah and in our community. And they are from our community. Mm-hmm. They believe in our community. They want to give back. Um, almost every one of our volunteers is a, um, a, some sort of a, a executive director who's retired or a teacher who's retired or, you know, somebody who's... So most are retired. Right. Folks. Most of them are retired. So have, they have the time. And they have the time and they mm-hmm. have the interest and they have the, mm-hmm. the passion and they want to make a difference. So they come and they run our field trips and they, nice. and how do I keep them? I make yeah, sure Yeah, what do you do? Mm-hmm. It's really important to make them feel that they, they own the program, that they own the museum. Okay. And so basically they run everything. We, so you we give have them freedom to, to just run with it. Okay. And they tell me how to improve it. 
trip, every single time we have a field trip, we go upstairs, we have lunch. I go and get lunch. Mm -hmm. That's the, my big job for the... You buy you lunch know. for them? Yeah, that's, that's how <laughs> hey, I that's keep that's important, so you feed them? <laughs> you feed them. That's and really key. sit down and then say, hey, how did that go? And then they tell me. I say, well, how can we change Excellent. it? What would you like to see different? What can we add? And so the whole program has evolved into this world-class Based on their trip, input. All on their input. And so, you know, they're the folks that go out and, and say, hey, you guys really need to go up to Utah Park. They have this new entrance exhibit that's going to tell you all about Ecker Hill. And did you know that it's only 2.4 miles from um, the Utah Olympic Park? And that was the site of, you know, three national championships and then world championships. So the history's there and the... The volunteers actually live and breathe that. And then when you think about them, they're all out in the community. So if you have 25 people out talking to another 20, you right. really get your reach out there. It spreads. Yeah. Well, interesting. So to recap quickly, so you give them a lot of freedom. Yes. Um, there is a sense that this is theirs. And so you listen to their input and then you react or respond to their feedback, make changes based on their feedback. Right. Which is excellent. And then, of course, you feed them and take care of them. I mean, yes. you really treat them well, it sounds yeah. like. Um, so really, I mean, in, in a sense, you've told us now how you create evangelists, because if you do that with volunteers, like I said, they go out and recruit others oh, who yeah. are big fans for your organization. So right. talk about that. So say someone is struggling as an ED leader, it just can't get volunteers to stick. You know, they've come for a little bit and then they just cycle out. Right. What would you recommend? Like if you were a consultant for them, what would you say, uh, to do? What would, how, how do they keep those volunteers like you have? Well, I always pride myself internally when I hear my volunteers go, just always say, Connie, you just, you, you're, we don't ever want to disappoint you because we just love you so much. Oh, so you build a good relationship with them, sounds like. Always. They really care about you, personally. They care about me personally, mm -hmm. and they know that, that I'm so dedicated to the Alfing Ski Museum and all of its mission statements and goals, and they are too. And, and I think if, as an ED, if you truly believe in your organization and you love it and you live and breathe it, mm -hmm. which I think most nonprofit leaders do because mm -hmm. they wouldn't be in this industry if they did not. Agreed. And I mean, I'm so passionate about making sure that the, the guest and the, gets the best experience they can possibly get and the student learns. And we find all sorts of different ways of making sure that student and their parents and their teachers learn from the history of skiing and, you know, avalanche safety and, you know, um, chill factor, all sorts of really important um, life skills that we need here in the mountains. Mm -hmm. But um, um, I would say to EDs to just make sure you really listen, like stop and say, well, what do you think? And don't talk and just let the volunteers tell you because they, they, they're there. They understand what's going on. They see on. it from a different perspective. They and, do. Mm -hmm. And they have ideas. I'm like, I never even thought of that. Like, you know, Connie, let's, let's bring this down to 10 minutes. The student's attention span, you know, isn't 15 minutes for six stations. It's that makes five sense. Yeah, and they, they see the kids and they understand it. And, and they want to make sure those kids get the best out of each of the field trips. So, so, so listening is a key component. Listening. Listen to them. Mm -hmm. And then um, volunteers volunteer for different reasons. Some are for social. Some because they want to actually put an input into the programming. Some because they, they really enjoy skiing. So find out what that individual likes um, or what, what, what is, what's their motivation for being a volunteer. And if it's social, you know, we have, um, we have social activities. Like we come to nice. my house and, okay. yeah, and during the summer. How often out of curiosity? Like every quarter? Or? Yeah, pretty okay. much every quarter. But every Excellent. single time they come in for a field trip, we have lunch. And I that's interesting. Okay. Every time they okay. come in, we sit down and we and, and you know that's it, paid off for you. It sounds like it really has. Mm -hmm. And you know they enjoy talking to each other and we we learn from each other mm -hmm. um, and we learn what what else is going on in the community. 
from each other. And that's, it's just Excellent. such a collective um, knowledge. So I, I'd say to EDs and Park City in particular, there's a lot of really good volunteers out there. Mm -hmm. and, Agreed. I would agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you see somebody like I was mountain biking and uh, this lady who was a retired um, uh, oncologist, um, she said that, you know, she just moved here and she didn't know what to do. And I go, oh, you could volunteer. <laughs> so you're always, always on the ready to invite ready. people. Yeah. And I said, we have good for you. And we've created a team of really fun people and um, intelligent. And, and they really believe in Park City. And they believe in all that we have to offer. So As, that itself probably draws more people. It does. And mm -hmm. so um, I, th I think that's the, the key is to find out what they want, um, what, what is really motivating them, and to make sure that you feed that motivation in a positive way through all of the different things you have to offer. Excellent. Well, some great advice, again, to how to create evangelist. Again, those volunteers, maybe even staff members that just so buy into the mission, they become your recruiters, if you will. They're raving fans out there in the community. Sounds like you're doing a great job. So one last time, back to your museum. Tell us one more time why people who live in Park City and Summit County, why do they have to come to this museum? Tell us again, what's the biggest draw right now and why they're going to miss out if they don't go? Oh, you have to come. Have to come up to the museum. And you have to come many times because we change exhibits, like I said, every year. And bring all your family and friends up there because the interactivity of looking at the history of skiing, as you enter into our museum, you'll see the 1990s, uh, well, actually 70s, 80s, and 90s ski outfits. You'll see. That alone is fun right there. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the old fashions. <laughs> yeah, it is. And the ski boots and the whole history of Nordic ski jumping and um, that, trying some of our virtual exhibits and uh, avalanche control and then up to the 2002 games and, and look at our, our local um, heroes and um, just really enjoy what we've accomplished here in Park City in our community through snow sports. And, Excellent. Um, yeah, we'd just love to have everyone up there. Good. And remind us of the website. Ingotmuseum.org. Ingotmuseum.org. And we're open seven days a week. That is uh, good to know. Nine, Monday through Sunday. No, yeah, Monday through Sunday. Uh, the times again? 9 a.m. till 6 p.m. Fantastic. And Come again, on. it's free. It's fantastic. Yeah. I've been there, but I'm glad by talking to you, it reminds me, I need to go back. Bring your uh, kids. Yeah, bring my kids again. They've been, uh, but it's such a great museum. Every time we've gone, it has been one of our highlights. And like you said, when we have out-of-town guests that come, that's one of our first stops Good. is to take them there. So it uh, sounds like we just need to make sure we go ourselves, not just the guests from outside right. of Summit County. So Connie, thanks so much for your time. Lots of good advice. Thanks for giving us a little bit more of a picture about all that you do at the museum. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Rob. You too.